Hello, and welcome to PwC's Accounting and Reporting podcast series. Our mission is to inform and educate accountants and other stakeholders on today's most important accounting issues. I'm Heather Horn, a partner in our national office, and I'll be your host today. In today's episode, we're kicking off the third quarter by focusing back on leases and a key day two accounting issue, remeasurement. With me in the studio is Jillian Pierce, a director in PwC's national office. Many of you will recognize Jillian from our recent webcast on current accounting and reporting developments, and I'm looking forward to our discussion today. So Jillian, thanks for joining me today. I'm looking forward to talking about some day two lease accounting issues. So I know that with calendar year end PBEs adopting as of January 1, I had Andreas Ohl on at the beginning of last quarter to talk about some day two impairment accounting issues. And now as uh, companies are closing their books for Q2, like to focus on some other day two issues related to remeasurement. Uh, but before we jump into remeasurement issues, maybe if you can help our audience by just level setting, where are we exactly? Sure, so like you mentioned, calendar year and public companies adopted in the first quarter. So lessees, what that means for them is they have now right of use assets and lease liabilities on their books for both operating and finance leases. So that was a big change from the old guidance. And in a lot of cases, companies have set up models, some companies have put in new systems to do all those calculations and figure out what those day one amounts are. They've also likely have set up the future calculations, so they're figuring out how they're going to amortize the lease right of use assets and relieve the liabilities as they're making their lease payments going forward. Um, they've had to go through a lot of inputs and assumptions, so things like discount rates and you know some of the other inputs that are required in getting term, to, that, yeah. to that right number initially, well, what happens if that changes? And so I think that's one of the things that we'll talk about is, you know, what we've been talking about is remeasurement events that will require companies to make some tweaks to those models and calculations. Okay, so no more set it and forget it. Right, exactly. It's no longer a set it and forget it model. So instead, companies are going to have to be essentially kind of continuously monitoring really all of their leasing arrangements to be able to identify when some of these events occur that will require certain changes. Okay, great. So let's jump into things then, starting with a particular type of remeasurement event, which would be a modification. So what what are the new modification rules? You know, really modification in general isn't a new concept. So modifications existed under 840 as well, but the framework for how companies will be evaluating modifications, that's really what's changed. So under 842, there's really two key questions that companies will have to think about as they're evaluating a modification. And maybe I guess even before we get into that, really, you know, what is a modification? Exactly, I was about to ask you that question. I think the simplest way to think about it is, you know, a modification is when you have a change in the contractual terms or provisions of your lease. So something that is negotiated into the lease, so say, you know, a new extension option that was not in the original agreement, the counterparties negotiate to put that into a lease, that would be a modification if the timing of the payments or you know the amount of the payments from a rent perspective are changing that that would be a, a modification it, it's something new it wasn't in the original agreement there's been some negotiation between the counterparties and, and now you have a new term that's that's what a modification is so assuming you have that so you have a, a change to your terms first you have to think about if that change results in a new right of use or an additional use that the lessee is now receiving. So what might that be? That could be 
you're gaining access to an additional floor in an office building. It could be if you're leasing equipment, you, you know, you're releasing 10 tractors, now you're leasing an 11th tractor, something like that. So, you know, something where now you have a new asset effectively that you didn't have previously. The second question then, if you do obtain an additional right of use, is what's the price of that new right? And is it essentially commensurate with the standalone selling price um, of what that would be in the market? If the answer to both of those questions is yes, so you have a new right of use and it's equivalent to market selling price, then that modification effectively results in a new contract, a separate contract from the original uh, arrangement. So a new unit, a separate unit of account. Right. So in those scenarios, essentially then what the accounting is, is you have two leases. So you have your original lease with the original terms that you're going to continue to account for and effectively run off whatever the original accounting was. And then you're now going to account for this new lease subsequent to the modification date as any other new arrangement or lease arrangement that you'd enter into. So from a lessee perspective, you'd measure and record the lease liability for those future lease payments, and then you'd record the um, corresponding right of use asset. Um, Again, no differently than if you were just completely entering into a brand new lease. If one of those answers is not yes, so either you're not getting a new right of use of some sort, or the price for a, a new use or right is not at market, then you're not in that first model. Instead, you are effectively in the remeasurement guidance. So that's one of the instances where instead of recording a brand new contract, really you're just going to be updating and remeasuring the existing lease that's already been recorded. And so that would also include when you are losing a right of use. So in your tractor example, now I'm only going to get eight tractors versus 10. That would be in this remeasurement model. Right. That's in the remeasurement. And and that's actually a good point, Heather, because in that case, generally if you're losing a right of use, we think about that like a termination. And so there's specific guidance as to exactly how you would calculate what those changes are, depending on if it's a partial termination. So in your example, if you're going from 10 tractors to nine tractors, (laughs) or if it's a full termination where, you know, for whatever reason, you're completely ending um, and will not have use of any of the tractors at that point. Okay, and then Julian, you mentioned specifically lessees. So does this guidance also um, apply to lessors? So the modification rules do apply to lessees and lessors. Obviously, you know, the the types of adjustments they'll be making will be different depending on which side of the arrangement um, you're on. But the, the same kind of key questions to determine if you have a brand new arrangement that you would count for or if you are in the remeasurement world and are just updating the existing balances you have that framework applies to both. Um, and there's specific guidance, particularly for lessors, depending on the classification, um, when they're in the remeasurement space to determine exactly how those balances will get updated. Okay, good. Before we get into then understanding the counting impacts of the remeasurement, uh, you would talk specifically about modifications, which sounds like it's some legal change between the lessor and the lessee. So what about other types of remeasurements? Um, Can you give us some examples of what those would be and then how do they fit into this picture? Sure. So, and this is really one of the other areas where it's important for companies to understand kind of the new landscape under 842 because there are other events even outside of actual modifications that could also result in a need to remeasure your lease liabilities and assets. So some of those things would include 
changes to um, a lessee's assumption about its lease term. So initially, lessees would have had to consider renewal or uh, purchase option provisions and whether those were reasonably certain to be exercised. If there are changes in the lessee's business, um, so say they install leasehold improvements into a building that they're leasing, those may have a longer life, um, which could then change their evaluation of any extension options that are within the lease. That would be an instance of another remeasurement event that, again, even if it's not a new extension option that's being included in the lease, which that would follow the modification that we just talked about, um, the lessee would still be required to to remeasure the liability in that case. So you don't wait until you actually exercise the extension. It's as soon as you know that you're decision around that has changed. So when it when you're talking about kind of potential changes in the lease term, it's really thinking about any event that's within the lessee's control that would change how they're how they've assessed things like extension options, purchase options, things like that. So again, the key is that it's something that the lessee controls. And what if it's just like a business decision? So I'm going to concentrate more business in this part of town or something like that. So it's in my control but it's not specific to the lease. That might be an area where it depends. I think something that you know companies would definitely have to think about there, you know, because the business decision could drive something specific in an individual lease. So, you know, the underlying assumption here is you already have a lease in place, so you would have to have some direct tie into that specific property or arrangement. Um, but a, a business decision about how that space is expected to be used in the future, you know, that likely would be something that you'd say the lessee controls, so then they would kind of fall into this model. Okay, and then you talked about things in the lessee's control, so how does this impact a lessor? Unlike the modification, so the remeasurement guidance as it relates to these other types of events, only applies to lessees. So changes like this and, you know, lease term, I'll mention a couple others of examples, that does not apply to lessors. So the only time that lessors really are going to remeasure their uh, leasing balances is when you have a true modification or a change in your contract terms. Okay, great. Jillian, you mentioned some other examples. So what are some other types of things that would constitute a remeasurement event? The other kind of big bucket, I guess I would say, is changes in your lease payments. So one of the examples is if there are contingencies in your lease that get resolved such that rent payments that initially were variable now become fixed, that would trigger a remeasurement and you'd have to update the lease liability and right of use asset to account for the fact that now you have fixed rent payments whereas previously you would have had variable rent payments that would have been excluded from those lease balances. On a similar note, if there are changes in the amounts expected to be owed under a residual value guarantee, that would also trigger remeasurement. So kind of under the same thought process, it's a change in the future lease payment, so something that would have to be updated um, and taken into account in the measurement of the lease liability at that time. Okay, so then Jillian, you either have a modification or remeasurement event. Now what, from an accounting perspective? Good question. And I would say the answer depends a little bit. So the first step is you're gonna start with your lease remeasurement and exactly what lessees are going to need to do is going to depend on if it is a, a modification or if it's another type of reassessment event. So I'll kind of go through each of the three buckets and highlight some of the, the differences that companies will need to think about. So we start first with a modification. So again, this is a modification that does not result in a new arrangement. 
So remember back to the, the first two questions. Right. So we're not in that model. We're right. now remeasuring. Okay, so then you don't have a new right of use asset or it's not at market rates. Right. The accounting we're talking about now. Yeah, so that okay. gets us into the model for yep. remeasurement. So when you have to remeasure a lease because of a modification, you have to go through kind of soup to nuts beginning to end. So because you're changing the contract terms, you have to reassess if that arrangement still, in fact, is a lease or contains a lease. So like I said, going all the way back to the beginning. And then assuming you still do have a lease, then you'll also have to reallocate consideration for that lease component. You will have to reassess the classification of that lease based on the updated consideration. You also have to update the discount rate that you're applying to the future lease payments. And then you calculate the new lease liability based on the present value of your your future payments. So that's for a modification. The second and third buckets then are for our other remeasurement events. So the first one being when you have changes to your lease term. So again, these are things where your assessment of lease term has changed because of something that the lessee controls. You don't have to reassess whether the contract is a lease, but you have to do basically everything else. So you have to reallocate the consideration in the contract, you have to reassess the classification of the lease, update the discount rate, and then recalculate the new lease liability. That brings us then to the third bucket where you have a change in your lease payments. So either variable payments are becoming fixed or your RVG amount is changing. That would be residual value guarantee for those of us who are not uh, in the lease lingo, correct? Yes, exactly. Yes. Residual value guarantee. So if that's the change that's getting you into the remeasurement model, then you have to reallocate the consideration and remeasure the liability. So other assumptions discount rate, classification, those do not get changed in that scenario. Okay, so that's the easiest one. Now, how about my lessee right of use asset? Right, so another it depends. So exactly how the right of use asset is gonna get adjusted, again, depends on the nature of the change. So if you do have an instance where you are decreasing the amount of space or the number of assets that you're, you're leasing, those would be treated as either a partial or a full termination. And so you would adjust your right of use asset proportionately to reflect the decrease in the use that you have, so the amount of space. Um, And then any difference between what your right of use asset is getting adjusted by and the decrease in your lease liability is going to get recorded as either a gain or a loss through your P&L. And I assume in some cases this is very straightforward, and in other cases it's going to take some judgment as to what the proportion is, right? Like if you had three floors, you're going to two, are they all worth the same amount? Right. Uh, a couple different ways that, that lessees could actually do those calculations. So one could be, like you were saying, if you're going from three floors to one floor, you could look at what the percentage change in that space is. Another way to look at it is, you know, once you've calculated your revised lease liability, you could look to see what percentage the liability has decreased by and then decrease your right of use asset by the same percentage. So again, a couple different ways to think through it. Um, But ultimately, the key there is if you do have either a partial or full termination, any difference between the decrease in the lease liability and the decrease in the right of use asset is going to go through the P&L. For other changes, the right of use asset is going to be adjusted in the same amount as the lease liability. So it'll be a direct one-for-one offset. There won't be any resulting gain or loss and nothing that'll get recorded through the P&L. Okay, so then Jillian, we've talked about a lot of changes. So let me go kind of full circle back to where we started, which is this is not a set it and forget it model. And I think one of the things 
like to talk about then is processes and controls. So what would we expect companies to kind of have in place to, I guess, be monitoring for these types of changes? Yeah, I think that's a good question. And I think monitoring really is the key because like you said, it's it's no longer going to be feasible for companies to set everything up on day one and effectively just let it run out. So they will need to be establishing processes to be able to identify when these types of events happen. So when you're making actual changes to the terms in your existing contracts, or even some of these other events that, you know, like we talked about before, may be driven by more broader business decisions. So really making sure that you have holistic processes, not just within the accounting or finance function, but you know probably more broadly in, in other areas of the business to make sure that these types of changes are getting communicated to the right people and at the right time so that companies aren't caught by surprise when changes have happened, but they weren't prepared for what the accounting implications would be. Right, because this is seems like it could be a case where Six months later, you could find out someone made a business decision to modify a lease or you know you're going to renew because um, you know, there was a change in circumstance and accounting is kind of on the back end. And I think what you're saying is that proactively, I guess on a quarterly basis or as frequently as you operate your controls, you need to almost be going out to kind of check if these events occurred. Right, exactly. You know, One thing maybe I would encourage companies to think about is the same type of outreach that they did initially to develop their implementation controls and get comfortable with where their arrangements that potentially could be leases are, it's likely some sort of ongoing controls in those same areas to make sure that they they have a pulse on on what's new, what could be different, because these changes could be happening today. So I think that's, that's another interesting dynamic in that companies adopted and got everything right on day one, but on January 2nd, they could have had a change that could have resulted in a need to, to remeasure. So again, something definitely timely, but you know, would encourage and hope that companies are getting those controls in place. Right. It's almost back to like when companies did FAST-133 and you know, trying to figure out something's a derivative or you know, it's at a lease or the different models and they have those checklists you went through. It's almost like having something like that in place so that on a periodic basis, you're proactively regathering the information and to the extent you're not making a lot of changes, it could be a very quick exercise or obviously, you know, you identifying early that something like this is coming is going to be very important because, um, you know, if you find this after the end of the quarter, it's going to obviously could potentially be a lot of work. Right, exactly. And again, it, it's not a one size fits all. So like we said, kind of first step is identifying if you've had a change. And then I think it's understanding exactly what that change is to make sure that the resulting accounting impacts are the correct ones. So then, Jillian, maybe last question. Um, Obviously, this very, you know, gave us some high-level information, but there can be a lot of complexity here. So I'm guessing the lease guide is the place to go for more information? Yes, definitely. So Chapter 5 of our leases guide talks about modifications and other remeasurement events. So definitely a good resource for companies to look at to make sure that they understand the new rules and know how to apply them as necessary. Good. Thank you very much for joining us today. Really appreciate the insight. Absolutely. To our listeners, I hope you now have more insight into some of your day two lease accounting issues. Please join me here again next week when I welcome back one of my regular guests, Matt Sabatini. Matt will be going back to the basics to discuss segments, including the impact of our changing environment. 
Segments are important for disclosures as well as goodwill impairment testing, and I'm looking forward to hearing Matt's insights. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to our podcast series wherever you find your content. And we'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a review. For PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.